Maybe it's not a miracle. A miracle is beyond human powers. I did this. We. It's a dream. The only dream for a handmaid in Gilead. My baby is afraid. So hello, welcome to the podcast, Resisting Gilead. Today we are going to be talking about season three, episode five, which is titled Unknown Caller. And today I have with me W. Axel Foley, who is the producer and primary podcaster on the Daily DVR Network. How are you doing today, Axel? I'm doing fantastic, Gina. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to be listening to your podcast and that you're doing it. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to talk about The Handmaid. I can't say I'm happy to talk about The Handmaid. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. so stressful. I mean, we watched the episode, my wife and I, we, my wife and I have watched this whole series together. And uh, we watched last night uh, this episode. And every episode after we have a kind of little discussion, like, and really what it is, is both of us just kind of venting yeah, and, and expressing and getting our feelings out and me too, wanting to talk to her because I know that for her, it's a much harder show to watch than it is for me. And I just accept that. And I knew that from the beginning and, um, we, I kind of have to debrief and see, I'll say like, honey, do you want to talk about this? Uh, yeah. She wants to talk about it. If she does, we talk. If not, I'll probably say a thing or two anyway, because I always do. And, <laughs> and then we go on. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I love this season though. This is my favorite season so far. Very much so. I have to agree. I mean, <clears throat> I think that, uh, you know, the last two seasons were rough and this one has started off in a much more positive manner for sure. Maybe up until this last episode where it's kind of taking an interesting turn and I'm actually, I'm thrilled to have you on. I've been, you know, solo podcast podcasting the last uh, couple episodes and it's, it's, difficult sometimes you have to like definitely get into a groove but I after watching this episode I was like I'm so glad Axel's gonna be on with me this week because there was so much interesting stuff that happened with Luke and information he found out I'm like I definitely need a guy's perspective on some of what happened um, to Luke so I think it's gonna be great so so yeah let's dive into it um, you know, I know this is titled Unknown Caller, but I actually think a good alternative title for this episode would have been Mixtape because I feel like that mixtape touched so many people in the episode and just the handoff of it. Um, but, you know, we can get into that a little bit more later. I, 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 oh, I'm sorry. I, oh. I can talk about that if you want. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Let's, let's go for it. I know. <laughs> no, I like your idea. I, th I think you're right. I think that that's a, that would be a great alternative idea. And it also, just the word mix, you know what I mean? Like, I was thinking about, like, what a mixtape is. And you take a little bit of this and that, and you create something that's your own. And you, um, the songs don't always seem to fit together but maybe even just the person who's listening understands it thematically. And for me, that's resonant 
towards the theme um, that was very present, actually, in our pre-recording uh, discussion, I just had mentioned the leftovers, but it's resonant in the leftovers where, you know, they talk a lot about how you make your own story and our lives and who we are, our societies, our institutions, our government are made up. They're all just us. And in a sense, that's kind of what that message through the tape was, right, to June, which is she's saying to her husband, live your life. Like, we have to find our own lives. We have to live. We have to still go on. And that kind of is what a mixtape kind of is that, right? Like, it's like a life tape. And we, I guess we kind of lost it. But I, I still think people make playlists and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. It was definitely a nice callback, though. I'm like, oh, I remember getting mixtapes. You take some ah. friends and... Oh, man, I remember those t- those exact tapes, you know, like that those brands that she pulled out, I remember, too. Uh, it's funny. We also watched the first episode of Chernobyl, and it starts with him. I don't know if you watched that. Yeah. Uh, it starts with tapes, cassette tapes, too. So it's just really interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, and then even, you know, Luke probably had to go scrounging for that Walkman. It shows him listening at the end. I'm like, I had that Walkman. <laughs> Me too, the yellow one that was waterproof. <laughs> yep, exactly. I love the way you could lock it. Like, I was obsessed with locking it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was a good one. So, I mean, let's kind of get into this whole, like, the major thing that happened this episode was really this big ask that Serena had of June, which was to help them arrange for her to visit with Nicole. And um, I mean, I don't know, I kind of felt like, like the first thing to me, it wasn't necessarily that they were going to see the baby. It was like, oh my God, June's going to talk to Luke. What is she going to say to him? Like, because if you haven't seen your husband in probably three plus years, which kind of seems around the time frame. And in the meantime, you've been having this relationship with another man, which resulted in the child, but then also you've had to be in the service of two different commanders. It's like, which that I think he knew, but, you know, he had no idea about Nick. And I I kind of felt the main hesitancy came from, oh my God, she's going to have to talk to her husband and she's not going to be able to tell him this. And she's probably not ready to either so that was just kind of my like oh my god moment when Serena first brought that up yeah I I I thought of that too and I think you see that um on Elizabeth Moss's face you know like it's that you're gonna that she's gonna have to talk to him and the sadness that creeps in when that's not a joyous thing yeah Right? Like you think if you've been separated, like you said, for three some odd years and been through what they've been through, you know, um, and the whole world is in flux. I mean, I can remember a point when I was watching this show in the first season that I thought to myself, Luke could never find her. How could he? They're never going to, you know what I mean? Like, what connection do they have? Right. But now it seems like they actually, this connection has been formed where. There's a direct link there. Like the Waterfords keep on saying his name. Like he's a part of her world again, but he can't be the part that he was before. 
So their reunion is one of just like ultimate sadness. And I don't, I mean, I put myself in that a situation like that and I can only think it's like, it's great writing and they've done a wonderful job of building up the emotional um, just weight of each action and what happens after and the repercussions. And uh, the conversation itself was heartbreaking. Yeah, because you could tell she just wanted to say so much more, but she was, you know, like worried about the time. She was just trying to hold it together. And she did a remarkable job of doing that. And I think even like Commander Lawrence knew how difficult it was for her. You know, he offered her the handkerchief afterwards and, you know, she refused it and, you know, asked to be excused and, you know, he lets her go. And, um, you know, then even later she has such an interesting conversation with Mrs. Lawrence about the phone call. And I mean, but before she has that conversation with them, you know, she like goes upstairs to her room and it's just like her body somehow she's standing there and her body just somehow kind of crumples. She doesn't like dramatically crumple to the floor, but you just see her deflate in a really interesting way. And I mean, I've said it a million times and I'll probably say it a million more, but Elizabeth Moss is just like the badass of acting. She's so phenomenal. It, yeah. She, she's incredible. And that scene that you describe after the call um, where she's just standing there by herself and the way she holds herself together through it. It's, I mean, we've seen her, she has tried to be, there's been times when she's been weak and she's had to fake being strong, right? Yeah. There's times where um, she's just been beaten down and she's cried in front of them and begged them and, just, you know, done anything. Um, she's yelled at everything. But this mode now that she's entered where she kind because she does like kind of crample down, but then she doesn't, if I remember correctly, doesn't she push herself back up? You know, she, she might've, I mean, it's definitely, she's, she's in a very different, you're right. She's in a very different place from where she's been in the past. And you know, I do think it has a lot to do with what she's been able to accomplish by getting Nicole out of Gilead and just knowing that there is a resistance happening and now she's getting to play a more active role in it, you know, with, you know, choosing those Marthas. And, you know, I think actually living in a Lawrence house has been huge for June. You know, it's like, it's taking a child and moving them from like a bad foster care situation into a somewhat better one. I mean, there's something about, I, I love Mrs. Lawrence. Like we haven't seen a ton of her, but I think she's a genuinely kind person who has been extremely disturbed by her husband's actions. And I think that reflects itself in the conversation they had about the mixtape and the person her husband used to be. And and June really reassuring her or kind of giving her permission to be like, hey, if there's a, even a fragment of that person left, don't, don't you want to hang on to that and see maybe if there's more, which I thought was great. But I also kind of feel like Mrs. Lawrence and Commander Lawrence, they're a little more familiar. They're, you know, there's more kind of kindness and care in that household. There is a lot more kind of brutal, honest truth, but 
I think it's still so much better than what she experienced in the Waterford household, which was just like a lot of power play, a lot of jealousy, a lot of just like creepy behavior from Fred towards her all the time. And, you know, kind of walking on eggshells all the time. I think she feels much more comfortable at the Lawrence's house. And yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she uh, she does, and she's also been allowed certain freedoms, right? Because the entry to to her relationship with him was um, letting her child go. Yeah, right. And, and and him being central in making that happen. I mean, he did it, right? He was the Harriet Tubman in that situation, right? Like, kind of bringing the kid over. But then when she gets to the house, there's still a learning process, but it's still, and he's not a nice guy, you know, but you're right. She has so much more freedom and comfortability. And you even see as she walks around the house, we don't get the same kind of feeling that we did. And of course, the most important part is he's not raping her. Yes. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, think that's, that's huge. <laughs> that's a vital thing here is that he does not partake in this uh, ritual um, that was created here, even though he's central in the creation of this society, as we kind of find out through bits and pieces. I like that we're finding out more about how things work. Yeah, no, I do too. And I mean... I think Commander Lawrence, and I love Bradley Whitford. I loved him on the West Wing. I, I'm so glad he's kind of like back in action this way. But there's something about his character's sense of humor as well, that it's definitely like quirky and off. And in some ways, I could almost see him writing this crazy manifesto about the economy, of like what needs to be done to save the country and the type of con- economy they need to create. I could almost see him doing it in like a, oh, you want something new? Here's something new. And I think it's all bullshit, but here's an idea for you. Like, I almost feel like it's possible he could have kind of created this tongue in cheek. And there are some nut jobs out there that thought it was a super great idea, took it seriously, and now have, you know, kind of put it into action. I don't know that that's a hundred percent, but I could just see his weird sense of humor being like, Oh, you want something here? Here you go. This is total bullshit, but go for it. Yeah. He does seem, he seems to me to be almost like a nihilist. Like he doesn't really seem to believe in anything. I don't get a religious vibe off of him uh, that we've seen from the other commanders, you know, like a, a repetition of those phrases and whatnot, you know, like this speak, the Gilead speak that they use. Yeah. Um, he seems to understand that this used to be America and we had this pop, this problem with uh, fertility and, th- and now this other organization. And he doesn't, it doesn't seem like the connection is really like to God and faith. Right. Right. It's, it's more towards maintaining institutions. And that's what I think is interesting about the, his, the aspect of his character. Um, because as we see in our own world around us, there are those who continue the evil deeds and plans of others with the absence of morality or ethics. They just want the institution to thrive because they think that's better for a society. And that's how I kind of feel 
like along what you're saying, where there's a gentleness in the house, there's a genuine care, right? Yeah. Brutal honesty that goes on. I feel like if June were to be able to provide him with an intellectual alternative towards what now exists, he might accept it. Yeah, I think he's definitely open to suggestion. And, um, you know, I I think, gosh, was it just the last episode where she was put in that awkward position of being in the room with the commanders, you know, and he was really just like, yeah, he doesn't like to be bored, that's for sure. But um, they have, yeah, they they have a lot more banter and a lot more discussion and debate, really, even. And I think it's just so interesting because he comes from this perspective of, you know, he's had a heavy hand in creating this society. And she comes from the perspective of, I am a victim of your society that you've created. And it's not, you know, he's not berating her or punishing her for that. He's like really trying to get her to understand, I think, why it's happening. And I think he's also like, helping her understand there are always consequences to your actions because I think he realizes there are to his and uh, it's interesting. They're, they're an interesting team so far. That's an interesting point you bring up, Gina. I hadn't thought of that, that that is because there is that aspect of a guilt that is in this house. Um, And, and, you know, the, the mental illness that his wife seems to have seems to be like an advanced form of guilt for what he has done and what they have done. Uh, that's, did that occur to you or do you, th- uh, that's oh. how it seemed to me. Like she just lost it. Like she had a breakdown and that's why he doesn't participate in, you know, the, the uh, ritual rapes and all that stuff. Yeah. I do. I do think that there's just a heavy amount of guilt associated with that. Cause I think he really loves his wife. And I think, you know, I feel like it was one of the first episodes where Emily was in that household and the wife like kind of comes to her door in a state of like manic, frantic, frantic, like he's a monster. Do you know he created this whole thing? Like she was just enraged and so upset. And, you know, if there's (laughs) anything, I don't know. I think he just realizes, you know, my wife who I love very much thinks I'm a monster for, you know, creating colonies and this economy. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of guilt associated um, with it in that household. And I think that June is a nice like bomb for both of them, for their relationship. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. It's a much more pleasant (laughs) dynamic than when she was at the Waterfords and, um, you know, kind of thankful for that this season. It makes it much more tolerable. Definitely. Let's talk a little bit about Serena's trip to Canada. But before we kind of go right there, she, you know, June asked Serena before she made that phone call, well, what do I get? If I do this, what do I get? You get to see her. So, what do I get? What do you want? I want you to owe me. I mean, what do you think of that? Because I kind of thought, (laughs) okay, June, you could be asking for anything right now. You could be asking for you and your daughter to, like, get the hell out of Dodge 
aka Gilead, but you're not. You're just asking for her to owe you. And part of me kind of feels like, well, she didn't take advantage of that opportunity in the right way. But another part of me thinks, you know, June has gone beyond just thinking about herself and her own well-being. And I feel like she's in some very strange way committed to staying in Gilead to help bring it down. That's just kind of my perspective on on that. On June. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I um I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And I think that this um to answer what what I thought of the ask, I thought it was ridiculous. And I thought I think unfortunately though, part of this show is watching June in a mousetrap. Mm. You know? She makes she has to She's made good decisions. She's made bad decisions, right? She doesn't, she just has to keep trying. And, and she comes to a, a T in the, in the trap, you know, in the maze, and she's got to pick right or left. And, and at this point, she just, she thinks that she can develop Serena as an asset. And I think, um, I'm not one that watch, usually watches the previously on. Do you usually watch the previously on for this show in particular? Yeah, I do. Okay, so I did this time though, and, and for this show I usually do because my wife likes us to watch it. And they show that scene from, a, I believe it was either the previous, I think it was the previous episode, when, when June is kind of like drinking from like a coffee mug or something, and, and she is she's acting almost like arrogantly when she's suggesting that Serena could be given more power. Remember that conversation? Yeah, that she has? could be given a role as a yeah, woman yeah, to yeah. help mend their relationship. You exactly. Know. Yeah. And then she kind of says to him, she's like stroking the, and she has like kind of an arrogant look almost like a almost smug, like, Ooh, I'm doing something here. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's working with him. But it's not really working with Serena. Like I just, I, I, I think I sent you some feedback where I, I think that they, ha- they, they, it looked like they were trying to get them to be a team together. But I, when she did that at that point, I was like, that is going to end up with a big nothing, or we're going to have to go through like eighteen permutations. Is that the right word? Of um. Serena lying to her because yeah. Serena's a true believer. Like you just can't, you can't trust a man. You know what I'm saying? Like that is always going to be that higher calling that she has and that she believes in is always going to trump any relationship or agreement she makes with another person. And it's really her decision of her relationship, right? with her God, this culture, this society. So unfortunately, I, w- I was thinking that Serena was going to go that way and maybe she'll swing back because that's the way this show goes. It's a give and take. But we saw it didn't really matter what she asked her, right? Yeah. Um, she I- wasn't going to follow <laughs> up with could like so I understand your point, you're mad. She should have said, I want, you know, I want to see um Hannah three times a month or something. You know what I mean? Like right. set this up for me. 
I want to do this or blah, 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 or I get to give him this or blah. But she didn't. She just said, I owe you. Like it was the Godfather. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's, it's not. It's, she has no power. Yeah. That's what she always forgets. They, the only power she ever has is when they relax their control. So yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's just so frustrating. I, I, I sent you a message after. I was like, this episode made me so frustrated. I loved it and I love this show. But I, that to that point made me, I was glad to put it in notes. It made me so frustrated. Yeah. It just felt like she should have figured out. It doesn't matter what you say to her now. What matters is the sequence of events. That's the only thing you can control. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. So I kind of, you know, I felt the same way after initially watching this episode. DJ Tim Hines sent in some feedback. Um, and I'll read, it's a lot of feedback. I'll probably like read through. <laughs> Well, and he starts it, blessed day, Gina. And he signs it under his eye, Commander Tim Hyde. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's Commander. I know, right? <laughs> so um, he, he was really upset with the episode. He says, as far as the episode Unknown Caller, this was the first episode that I felt didn't feel right. It seemed very different in the pacing, tension, and suspense. The Waterford's twist was written on the walls the entire way through. I was very disappointed in June's poor judgment. I understand the possible consequences with Hannah and the fear that it could cause, but June has been getting too comfortable with her confidence in the resistance. This show has awful results to almost every glimmer of hope. June knows this. She should have not let Nicole Holly become the propaganda poster child. June choosing to stay in Gilead should have gave her the true fuck it attitude and gone all in on the disruptor path. When Serena was asked what she would do for June in return for this favor and June's request was to owe me one was awful. June finally had hand in the situation. Big time ball drop. Unfortunately, this was the first episode that I was disappointed with. Seemed like so many really bad decisions all around. I read through Tim's feedback about this, and he, he really felt kind of the same way, that this was like June had really poor judgment in this situation. And it kind of got me thinking, I'm like, well, what, what is really happening here? And I think we need to look at that visit that Serena had with baby Nicole and even kind of her whole trip up there. So kind of jumping into right before she leaves her mother's house to get on the plane, she, she has this, I don't think it's like a necklace, but it's some kind of medallion that says, you know, I prayed for this child that, you know, and she shows it to Rita and Rita reads it. So this is, this is words that they are reading. They've both just broken the law. Um, That's a great point. You know, Gina, I did not, I did not see that. And um, that is a fantastic catch that you made there because it made me think of that point I made earlier about how like, um, like how Luke 
and and June's relationship has entered the Waterford's relationship and Nick and right like they strive to create this society in which there's distinct defined roles down to what clothes you wear what you're allowed to say even in private but because of the way that humans are these things eventually mix and break down and Serena didn't even notice that yeah, I, d I don't know if either of them did. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't catch it on the first watch. I rewatched last night. Great. And then the next thing Rita does is, the, you know, brings out the mixed tape and holds it out to her. And, and Serena says, well, what is it? And she goes, I don't know. It doesn't have my name on it. So it's another thing to even think like you're handed something and you're not even allowed to like, look down to read to see if your own name is on it just seems so absolutely absurd and so you know i just kind of thought as as serena was putting everything in her bag i'm like oh the secrets that the women of gilead keep in their pockets and their purses you know it's <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always uh i mean i can say even as a man that's something that can be fascinating to men yeah, you know, yeah. When I saw that in the notes that you wrote that, I just think of how fascinated I am by like, I remember my grandmother's purse or my mom's or my girlfriend's or now my wife's, you know, or her bag and the kind of things they carry, you know, but yeah. uh, that's actually a famous book about Vietnam called The Things They Carry. Oh. And you think like in war, right? What do you carry around you? And in a sense... I started to kind of make that jump between their purses, all these things hidden in bags, the way Serena looks down and sees the phone in her bag, right? Yeah. Hidden parcels. These are all like they're at war and this is the way they're fighting that war. This is an intelligence operation. Yeah, it really is. That's such a good comparison. In many it. senses, you see that also when Serena is brought, when Serena arrives in Canada, she meets up with uh, the guy from Parenthood, who you mentioned as the good looking guy. Uh, you know, I don't know if did you watch Parenthood? No, I didn't. I, I'm just great. like, who's this hot Canadian, well, American guy that like is, you know, very <laughs> fond of talking to Serena Joy. Yeah, he's awesome. He was great in Parenthood. He was fantastic. Um, but um, they say to her, we're going to need you to change your clothes, you know, and there's many different reasons why they would have her do that publicity, blah, blah, blah. You know, Luke want to meet in public, right? But the real reason, I think, was it was like it was operations. It was intelligence. It was they want her to feel like she did before. You know, it would it, if this show was a little more deeper on the political stuff, I wouldn't have doubted to see a scene where he and his um, his uh, other intelligence guys and Canadian intelligence, right? I, would that be the CIA Canadian? No, that's different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. CIA, right? Canada style. <laughs> yeah, Canadian intelligence agency, right? Makes sense. Um, but uh, would say like, hey, we got to get her, we got to get her to change clothes because that's like a thing you see like in the Americans and stuff like that. Like it makes her think that way. So this show is really sneakily 
always kind of been about that, right? Like it is about a war. It's a war show. Yeah. And I mean, I also thought getting her to change was really smart because it gives her back a taste of what her life was like. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yes. Exactly. You know, she's she's trying to get her to do. Yeah. She looks so good in normal clothes. I mean, she's beautiful, but um, she just looked like so kind of relaxed and happy, like a J. Crew model. And um, I say, I, I think that she is absolutely gorgeous. And, you know, I mean, it's hard with Hollywood and, you know, people have, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, this is outside of the, the show, but I guess in a way it's connected to it with the beauty standards and you can't fault women or men for that fact. When you look at like Bob Costas for having plastic surgery or get it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or whether, whether it's injections or whatever, but I just have to say that I, if I'm pronouncing your name right, Nicole Strofsky, is that how you pronounce it? I think so. Yeah. Okay. She, and this show too, and the same goes for Elizabeth Moss, all the women in this show, this show particularly allows close-ups of women without makeup that many other shows do not do. And one of the things is um, she re- they really do close-ups where you see wrinkles and you, or you see little hairs or, do you know what I'm saying? Which is in HD, you know, it's going to show up and it's a vulnerability and I have to credit the actresses with allowing it. But you do see as soon as she puts on the jeans and the hair is flowing, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, damn, she's like, what? Like, you could just, she just stands out in the airport and then you're like, oh yeah, right. She is a, uh, she's a TV star. Well, <laughs> but I mean, lost too. Like, you know, they show her so close up and she's got those crazy eyes. Yeah. But then you see her other times, you're like, wow, if you saw her on the street, you'd be like, she's gorgeous. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's also the tricky thing filming without makeup or like, you know, kind of very bare base of it is, you know, as a woman, some days I look in the mirror, I'm like, wow, I'm looking good today. And then other days I'm like, what's happening? You know, it's kind of like you just wake up and it's, it's different every I just single don't day. Look in the mirror, Gina. So I just, <laughs> well, no. I mean... You know, because sometimes I think, God, Elizabeth Moss looks so great and she doesn't have a stitch of makeup on. And then other times she doesn't look as good. And I think, I think that actually should be a good message to Hollywood and everyone else is like, listen, we don't look the, the same day in, day out. Like a lot of, you know, some of it's just, it depends on how much sleep we got and what we're eating and, you know, how we feel, if we worked out or not. I just think there's so many factors that go into to looks and and it's very you know stark comparison to you look at the kardashian uh women and um jenner women and it's just like most of the time i'm like i wonder what they really look like without makeup you know? <laughs> i try to think of them as least as possible <laughs> I, think I think this is the only conversation i've had about them in about five years thanks a lot Jay. well you know though what made me think about them is remember the first season where fred gives june a fashion magazine to look through and she's like you know, these women look like zoo animals now, you know, it's like Uh so unreal. And so you kind of think of it that way too, that I don't know, it's just, uh, it's very interesting to to think about that. It is, because 
right? Like this society, um, just their va- the value system is so strange. And then you think about our own and, and, and then you just see that it's like all a weird construction, you know? It's like when you read a sci-fi book about some something or even when you just learn about other cultures of your own, even if they're in the same country as yours and you're like, what the heck, right? It's just the standards are strange. And that's what this show does such a good, good thing. It makes you think about that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you normally don't think about that, but they make you think about that because there's certain aspects of this Gilead society where they try to be so like carbon neutral and right. And like pure in some ways that you might respect, but of obviously overall, you'd never want to live there. It's yeah. Like yeah. No, definitely. They're, they're, they're doing, they're trying to do well for the environment. Right? Yeah. They sprinkle in the carrots there and they say, you know, it's like often the oppressor says that they're trying to uplift, you know, yeah, the women of having to choose what clothes to wear or the beauty standards of the other society. We're freeing you by just making you all wear the same gray outfit. <laughs> right? Like, right. That's freedom. No decisions. Yeah. Sometimes like, um, I think June was up in her room at one point when they came to fetch her and she's just sitting in a chair and I'm like, Oh my God, I would be so bored out of my mind. You can't read. There's nothing to watch on TV. You don't have a cell phone. You, you don't really have any activities you can do. It just seems. Uh, well, you become oh strong God. of mind though, which is what she's become, right? Like that's true. All about like she, the only country she really lives in is the one in her mind. And now she's starting in this season. That's why I like it. She's coming out of that. Cause I think that was a lot of season two and that was harder. Yeah. You know, it's true. You make a very good point. Like the less you have to do. And if you're in such a shitty situation, the more you think about ways to plot, to change it and get out of it. So in some ways they, you know, I think once she said, if they, they shouldn't have given us uniforms if they didn't want to create an army. And it's, it's true, even with limiting them in terms of activities and, you know, things to read and, and it creates discipline. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, well, that's the, that's the game of oppression, right? Yeah. Like if you oppress too well, um, you, you form an army, like you make Thank a bunch you. of people, right? Because, you keep out your control, your aspects of control, and then they come back at you. But that's what we're hoping for in this show. And I think there is, you know, it's getting there. That's why, I, that's what I like about this season and this episode, especially. They're just pulling out of the house. I like the shots. Uh, in your last, you, well, in all your episodes, you make good mention of the shots. And that particular, I, it was interesting to me that they had that drone shot. Um, into Serena's parents' house. Oh yeah, that was interesting. Right? Wasn't that yeah. interesting? I wanted to mention that. I don't know why we're. I, I'm sorry to to take us off. No, no. Topic. It's <laughs> just, okay. I was I'm, trying to think. Of, I was like, why was that shot in there? It was so. It was interesting to me. And then I was trying to think, like, is that kind of when Serena kind of hatched? that's when she kind of decided she was going to get this baby back. Like that was kind of like, I don't know, in a sense, the idea coming to her or something thematically, but I don't know. 
I'm sorry. Maybe. No, no. <laughs> uh, just since we're on the topic of shots, I think the opening shot this time was also pretty phenomenal, which was just, they were in the grocery store and June oh, was just standing yeah. still and like everyone else was whizzing around her and fast forward. I was just like, this looks so cool. It's that just was great. Yeah. yeah. And they do, um, the shop is different this season, isn't it? Isn't it? That was not the same. It's become more, um, they, they have all these different symbols, right? For the food up there. And it's become a bit more, it looks more institutionalized, but there does seem to be less on the shelves. Yeah, this one does look different. I don't know if it's just because in previous episodes when we've seen them in the store, they're more in the produce section. And yeah, it was almost like they were at a nature store before, and this one is more of like a brand store, even though, yeah. or, you know, it's hard to tell. I was going to ask you while we're on this topic if um, they it's just because she moved location or they're trying to show us that the society is evolving like this. Now they have like, they rolled out what the stores will look like. Yeah, it could be. I do think they had a few different markets in the past. I know I remember one being called loaves and fishes Okay. and there was a name for another one too. So there are a couple different markets I've seen. We've, <clears throat> I feel like we've seen maybe three or four different types of markets as the time goes on. So I think they have options for a variety, but um, I've often wondered like whose career in Gilead is it to be the illustrator for everything? <laughs> oh God. There's probably a woman. I, I, I know, but I, you know, I thought about that too, but I'm like, Oh, they'd have to let her read to illustrate unless they had really bad illustrations she's like you know what is this an orange no it's a tomato like I mean, <laughs> um, well, at least you could have nice thoughts like that <laughs> i don't know interesting but, yeah the whole, uh, the whole breakdown of how it works is really interesting but that was a great shot and i like that they take chances like that that they um that they do use cinematic tools like that and these kind of that kind of montage um that flowing shot coming into the house i was with the last episode you were mentioning that fantastic shot that they kept on using for the promos yeah and down the steps um and i oh that was something i wanted to bring up to you is you know what else that's the shape of if you look at it the jesus fish oh yes yeah totally yeah. And you see that a lot in this, um, in the show too, that kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it. It's not an oval, um, but it looks like what you see when people have that on their car. Yeah, it does. Um, and that's interesting because that is uh, from a time, I think that's really like an American thing, that symbol. And if I'm right, I think that was like the maybe 60s or 70s and really was more of a kind of like new church, you know, like it was more, it was supposed to be a, a more open, it was like, a, you know, I don't know, I guess in the, you know, the 60s and 70s, there was a kind of like, you know, everybody playing guitar, which I guess is popular nowadays too, right? Yeah. In yeah. churches, like a lot of people like play the music. I guess now though, they look more like they're in Creed or something. 
Um, mega churches, yeah. The yeah, mega right? fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting that that is kind of they play with that symbology in the show as well. Uh, but that was a great shot too. I'm, I was glad when you pointed that out because it was just so clean and the way they move through it. You know, yeah, it's really mesmerizing. Like every time I've seen it, I've just been like, "Ooh, it's kind of hypnotic." I'm just like, "Wow, look at that!" Yeah, there's so um, many things you can pull from it. Like their gears, right? They're just yeah. gears in a in a machine that the Jesus fit. Like you were saying, under his eye. It's so. It's they they do a lot of great shots, and uh, I think they actually they made the airport in this. The shots they chose were sparse. But they were so, they're very efficient. You know, they'll just show a wide. And then you see like when they get into the um, airplane. And as I'm looking at it, I'm saying to myself, wow, this is really communicates so much. They have such great cinematography in this show. But also it probably saves money to shoot it like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah. they could any airport. And, but they make it look great. So this is the production quality. I'm always glad when you mentioned that on your show, the production quality of this show and the cinematography is just amazing. And um, they always, the close-ups too, especially, man, Elizabeth Moss is like the queen of all close-ups. Yeah, no, she really is. She really is. So I would call her Khaleesi, but that means something different now. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it does. <laughs> Oh, well, um, anyway, speaking of the airport, what did you think about the whole interaction between Luke and Serena and Nicole? Oh, man. Um, you know, you had told me you were going to ask me about this and like uh, from a kind of a guy's perspective. And this was just so difficult. I mean, first off, um, I wanted, I brought up here, look, I had my IMDB up and then I, I lost the name. O.T. How do you pronounce his name? Oh, you know, I'm not sure. Um, Fagbenly? Fagblenly? Yeah, I do remember. Fagbenly? Tongue twister when I've, when I've seen that before. Fei I'm, I'm, I'm saying Fei It's that, that that must be like that looks French or something like that. Maybe even Norwegian. I don't know. Anyway, he's a great actor. I love him. He was on the HBO show. I'm going to forget the name of the show about the five gay guys in San Francisco. Do you remember that show? Oh, really? I never watched it, but um, but no, uh, I know the one yeah. you're talking about. Those had so many like three three season shows that then I forget the name. But anyway, I love that show because the guy from Mindhunter was on is was on that show as well. Um, but he was great in that show. And then when he was cast here, I was like, okay, this is going to be a different character because in that show he played a really just a guy that was not very dependable. And was kind of, it was just, you were, you were kind of like rooting for him, but he wasn't a, really a great guy. Yeah. And then here, you know, sometimes it's hard when you've only seen somebody in one other role, right? But he is amazing. And the way that he holds in his rage, I mean, Gina, if this was me and this was my situation, I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I would have definitely planned to try to kill Serena or kidnap her 
or just, but I wouldn't have done it, of course, but I, my rage would have, I just, I don't know. And to even bring the child there, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that real. like I could get kind of upset about it. Just thinking about it right now. Like if it's just him, okay. But it's about a child that she's calling her child that she part, not only participated in the rape of, of my, in this sense of his wife, right? But, um, and he doesn't even know to the extent that she did, right? Yeah, especially no. that last time. Yeah. Right. Then not only that, um, but she is also, and I don't know if he knows this or it's common knowledge, somewhat of the architect of this society, right? Like she was, yeah. I mean, he must have known her from the news. She was a kind of a celebrity, right? Like we saw that where she was speaking at the colleges, you know what I mean? Like she became kind of the figurehead of this movement at a certain point. So there, there's that anger too, just like you supported this whole destruction of my country, let alone my family. Um, I thought that the performance was amazing. Just the way he just breaks down the way it's raining when he leaves the store and ignores it the way it was shot. It was it was just absolutely heartbreaking, and I could only say I would only hope that I would have the same strength uh, that he did. And they wrote this magnificently, and he is a really he's a really good man. Yeah, you know? and he loves her, and he's trying to do his best. And he brings the baby there. And then when Serena makes that threat, which I saw as a threat, right? I've, I've protected your wife. Well, I mean, this, this is an interesting, this, that was an interesting exchange because, I mean, it was a little bit of a threat, but I think she was also trying to like tell him, listen, I'm not the enemy. And Again, it's oh, hard. I know, but it's so hard. You see, like I'm putting myself like, <laughs> so hard to hear that, right? Like, right. But he did though, for whatever reason. See, I thought, I thought he, I thought maybe I'd have to watch it again. I thought that maybe he thought initially it was a threat, and I can see your point that then it dawned on him. Oh wait, even if that was a threat. I have something she wants. Well, and the only reason I feel like, he, I, I do feel like he kind of hurt her because he leans in and he's like, what do you mean you protected her? I felt like he was leaning in to like really kind of truly ask her. And then- Oh, okay, okay. He, he'd also mentioned June and I decided we wanted a better life for her and we got her out. Like, I feel like she was trying to get across, listen, this baby wasn't stolen from me. Mm -hmm. I, I participated in the decision to let her go so she could have a better life. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's why I think it's like, a, it was kind of a little crunchy because you don't really know how it resolved, but he did feel, I don't know, open enough to let her hold the baby. Um, that's good. You know, Gina, this is why we do the podcasting because you <laughs> opened my mind to it because I think my anger 
And this is what really, this episode was really hard for me to watch. I have to, uh, you know, I, I gotta be honest. I was pissed off. I mean, I wanted him to, to try to kidnap her or the Canadian government to grab her and use her as leverage or something, you know, like I wanted some action to be taken to try not to hurt her, just to change the situation. Right. Yeah. And, and help all the women in Gilead and uh, everybody in Gilead. And it, uh, it was just so frustrating that I didn't see that. And I think you, you make a good point because to me, the way I read it, I was, the scene was, it had my blood boiling so much and it was owed a lot to his acting, I think too, and to hers that I just felt like she threatened him and then he kind of relented and thought, okay, maybe it's in, I got to remember the way June handled this. And maybe it's it and how calm she was, you know, like she was yeah. communicating to him with, through her calmness, she was communicating to him, like, do what they say, just trust me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's why he agreed to meet in the first yeah. place. I think he was afraid of, you know, what if they take this out on her and do something to hurt her. But then also like, you know, she, she meets him for the first time. She reaches out her hand and introduces herself and he's like, fuck you. <laughs> That was great. And that, and you know what I said? I was sitting there and I go, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, know. I, I, I gave it like a big man grunt, you know? And <laughs> I was like, yeah, motherfucker. And uh, I, because, but the thing is, she, it's, it's so hard. And this show is so amazing the way, especially this character of Serena, who is not only complicit, but I mean, responsible in so many ways for what ha goes on but then as a woman complicit you know yeah uh, a new fragrance complicit <laughs> um but she uh she does love this freaking baby yeah. and it's weird and the way she says to him he says to her it's not even your baby you know and i mean i was waiting for him to say like you watched your freaking husband rape my wife to get this baby you know like just like do you under just to say the truth to them, because that's something you always want them to do in this show, you know, just yeah. freaking say it. But, uh, but she says, you know, as well as uh, that's not, you're not related to her either. It's not about blood, right? Or something yeah. like that, right? And uh, I thought that that was really meaningful. And um, she actually had a, goddamn point there which i didn't yeah. want her to have but me as a person myself who the man who raised me my stepfather we're he's not blood related that's my father you know yeah so i know what that means and so many of us know what that means um you know in a lot of ways as an adult you choose your family right and that could include who your children are or who you see as your father mother brother whatever um but that, in a way, the point you make, Gina, makes me realize that he missed an opportunity, but then gained it at the end by letting her hold the baby. But then when we see what happens at the end of the episode, did he really? You know, this is really interesting because I feel like there's a lot that probably happened in this whole incident that they didn't show us as viewers. And 
I think when, you know, we'll talk about the whole propaganda, the propo here in a minute, but part of me wonders, this would have been a prime opportunity for the Canadian government to get pictures of Serena in plain clothes holding that baby. Mm, interesting. To use yeah. later. Oh, the see, you're on the intelligence tip. We got to make, we got to <laughs> join the CIA, Gina. I know. <laughs> Canadian but Intelligence Podcasting Agency. I just kind of, I was thinking about that as you were talking about the plain clothes and I'm like, oh, I hope they got, I hope they got pictures of her because I think it could come in really handy. Like we already let her see the bait. Like, you know what yeah. I, yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's a great, I hope, I hope you're right because there's a reason they brought him back. Yes, there, there is. And it wasn't just to put the phone in her purse, which he did as well. Yes. Which I okay. found really interesting. And then, you know, when she's having to change back into her Gilead clothing and she's, you know, a mess because she's being separated from the baby. And I mean, probably just kind of like, God, you know, cause he says something to her right before she went into change that was like, you can stay, we can get you out. And she's like, oh, coconuts and palm trees. Well, my, my home is there. And I mean, part of that, I'm sure a lot of those tears were for the baby, but I'm sure a lot of it was like, you know what, this isn't, maybe this isn't the home I wanted. And, you know, then we see that mixtape fly out of her bag. And, and I kind of wonder, I'm like, how did, how did that mixtape end up getting the loop? Did she give it to that guy, Mark, Oh, oh, Gina, is this your, is this your, uh, was this your theory that you had? It builds into it. I'm like, did she give it back to Luke? Did she give it to this guy, Mark? And if she gave it to that guy, Mark, did he then have a conversation with Luke when he gave it to Luke? You know, I think there's a lot of things that could be happening here. And then I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to, I want to talk about, well, uh, let's go into this. And then I have like one more thing I want to talk about, but particularly when they get to this whole freaky June being taken from the store to get on formal handmaids dress wear and film this really weird propaganda piece with the Waterfords in mm -hmm. a room that looks like their old house, which probably was from that set. But, um, I love anytime there's a TV, you know me, anytime there's like a set or something, people walk onto it, I get excited. I was like, this is <laughs> I like, knew exactly what was happening. Did you know what was happening? I, I, I wasn't sure until she starts bringing out that dressy, dressy handmaids where. Okay. Well, that's good. You picked up on it early then. See, I thought a little bit before, and the only reason why is because. It just reminded me of going to like a green room. Oh. When when she was yeah. leading her through, it just yeah, seemed yeah. like okay. I don't know why. When they sat when they brought her in and then they it just seemed I was like, this seems like they're bringing her in for something. And then as soon as she brought the dress out, my wife was like, Perry was like, What's that? She was like, Is that a new outfit? Like, is that, you know, like the new handmaid's tale? It was, yeah. it was, right? It was different. I think it was slightly yeah. more formal and a little more attractive. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool, too, because I love, I have mentioned before, I, I just, I love the way the world building that goes on. So it was the way that she touched it and she said, you're so lucky. I know. Uh, the new outfit, you know, like it's been blessed or something. But um, yeah, okay, so continue on. I'm sorry. 
So, you know, they go in and they're starting to film this propo and, and you, that you realize what's going on in your, and she, and she realizes, and she's like, Serena, what did you do? You know? And it kind of brought me back to that moment where she got off the plane to Fred and she seemed really resigned to having it be over. She knew the baby was safe. And then Fred's like, it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And so, and Serena, of course, did not acknowledge June when she asked her that question. But here's what I kind of think, okay, is Serena Joy really going to go on this whole kind of tirade to get just get a baby back or is this something different is this and this might be like the pollyanna optimistic view on it but i'm kind of taking a few different things into consideration there's the whole conversations that june had last week with both fred and with serena and she said to serena wear the dress pull the strings and a scene we didn't talk about because it was just kind of um fleeting was earlier in the episode where serena is brought into that incredible conference room with that huge circular table that's filled with men and she's the only woman at it and she gets handed records that she's allowed to read she's like literally in the inner circle they want she gets to be part of this because it's her baby. So they're inviting her in to be part of these discussions. And so I wonder, with a trip to Canada, she now has a phone where she can communicate out. And Fred saying, this doesn't have to be over. Is it her really wanting the baby back? Or is this her seeing an opportunity to get more involved and closer to what's going on and working with these men and wiggling her way into a position of power where she gets more intel and more information? And honestly, I think this propo that they're filming, this is the first time I believe that the outside world has seen Gilead or people from Gilead. Like, I think they've been very closed off in terms of what they've been filming and putting out. So that makes me wonder, is this, is it all part of a bigger ploy that Serena is behind the scenes now pulling some of the strings? Because honestly, I think that whole scene, if that was being broadcast in from a country that used to be the United States and I was in Canada watching this, I would be like, this looks fucking crazy. Like what, like what is this planet they've created? And I mean, they do look very backwards and it goes back to Serena being given different clothes. So she blends in more like this is Gilead sticking out like a sore thumb and a very unattractive sore thumb. So part of me wonders like, Is this really Serena going along with like getting this baby back or is this like her working behind the scenes for some type of different outcome? Because honestly, she could have stayed there in Gilead and seen that baby more often. I mean, she could have stayed in Canada and, you know, got, you know, been part of Nicole's life probably. 
and she went back. I think that this, I think that this is a great idea and it's quite possible that it could even be both, right? Yeah. It could even be that she can use the baby to get deeper into not only what the Gilead hierarchy is, but any connection they have to the Canadian government, right? Which seems to be our best and greatest hope at defeating Gilead is the Canadians. So let's not blame Canada. Um, But I can see that. But I can also just say, she is... She seems to have now under she seems to now understand what kind of future any woman would have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if like why fight for the future of these babies if this is what they're going to live? But she's still a true believer, so I don't know what to believe. I'm I'm not sure. Like like uh, kind of how we got into this, where I was saying did the husband make a mistake by letting her grab you know touch her, touch the baby and hold the baby? Is she turning against um, June in this case, or is she trying to ingratiate herself? Is it possible that the way she got uh, that mixtape was through by giving it to the guy in the Canadian government, right? And then maybe had other conversations, but then we see the phone and it's kind of hidden in there. We know the phone's there. Did she mm-hmm. use it, right? See, I think that's why I feel like there's a lot we're not yeah. seeing. And I mean, I do think Serena is. I hope is, so. But I, I, mean, I know. Don't this, you feel too hopeful, though, because this show always breaks any hope you have? <laughs> I, I do. And um, I, fe- I feel like I have never theorized at all during this show <laughs> because it's just so jaw droppingly unbelievable that I can't honestly fathom what horrible thing could happen next. And I think that's why I'm like cautiously kind of like, well, maybe, maybe she's turning double agent. Um, but I'll say one thing, Gina, I'll say this. The, the one point that you make that kind of is more, I guess, in a sense, more important or is it, it seems to be a given within this world that they've set up for us is, is the is when I, after the show is over um, you know, my wife was like, "Uh oh, oh, this is terrible. And I was like, wait, this might not be so terrible for the same reason you said that it looks insane. Yeah. It looks absolutely insane. Like yeah. they, they didn't just show us what it looked like on the set. They showed us what it looked like when Luke and Moira, that's her name, right? Yes, yeah. Turn on the TV, and she's like, you got to see this. I know. Turn it on, and her face is not only like, oh my God, June's in the shop, but just like, this is fucking nuts. And also, they've exposed themselves, because if we remember, I think it was, was it season one or two, when there's the whole question of whether they really exist. Remember like when the Mexican... A contingent comes to America. Yeah, there and and I think there was a gay man that was a part of it, right? Um, um I don't know. Am I remembering that? Yeah, I don't think it was a it was a gay man that came with Mexico. It was that person that ultimately ended up getting a note from June to Luke and telling her that Luke was still alive. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. When they went to visit Canada last year is when 
one of the officials that was helping them tour around um, said, oh yes, my husband and I used That's to wonderful. love to visit America. Maybe yeah, if we're ever welcome there again, we <laughs> will. <laughs> That's why I remember that because I was like right on. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that they are fully exposing themselves now, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it seems as if the idea of why they had the handmaids, how they're treated, how the system works was very secretive from other nations. And I can remember them having discussions where they said, people are going to think we're weird, we're strange, but we have to explain to them. They have to get to know our culture. It's right. Like I can remember, um, uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph Fiennes. I always forget. Wait, what's, uh, Joe, Joe Fiennes. Joe. Okay. Joseph, Joseph Fiennes, Fred. I should know that. That's my middle name, Fred. Um, Freddie over there, uh, said, I remember him saying something like that, even to June, like when something's different, you have to get used to it. But what we're doing, we believe in when he's do, and, and I can remember other people saying things like that. Yeah. So, Perhaps one of the things we're not seeing, Gina, is a conversation in which that group of men or Serena involved with them said, look, we're not going to get many opportunities to be honest with the world. This is the perfect opportunity to show them that the reason we do this thing, these weird rituals and this religion and all that, is because we want to further children, right? Like yeah. our society is about children, which is the world is lacking. So I could, in that sense, it's a risk. Like we see in our own society today, our own government right now and throughout history, um, how just exposing the truth, some people think that's going to help them, but in the end, it screws them over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, quite possible that this grand gesture of getting on international television live in with your handmade docilely 10 feet behind you with her head down, right, is not <laughs> going to play well in Canada or in Europe or in Mexico, you know, wherever. And they really just screwed themselves by outing themselves. Like they took a chance. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, especially I wonder how it's perceived after those letters got out last season yeah, that were so right. eye-opening. Oh, and let's not forget, um, let's not forget her friend whose name I'm, I, I am forgetting. Moira? Uh, not Moira. The, uh, ooh, now I'm, I'm trying to try to find her name. Oh, Emily. That Emily can tell the story of The Handmaids. She could, Yeah. She so could, she could yeah. get on, it's almost like a response. Like after this is over, you could imagine Canada is, is a technologically advanced society at this point, right? Like we see people walking around with cell phones. We see the cars, we see the city. They probably have a talk show. Hey, yeah. let's try to book a handmaid. Yeah. You know? and she, that's, that's my hope for this show is that that's how the resistance builds, that these characters we've met become, each take a role in it and Emily becomes a kind of spokesperson because she's so freaking smart. Yeah. No, that's very true. And yeah. Yeah. 
So that's my hope, whether it's going to happen. But you know what? If we really wanted to theorize on this show, Gene, we could probably say, you know what's going to happen next episode? It's bad stuff. I know. It doesn't take much to have that that theory turn out. She's not going to get out. That's my prediction. She's going to be there at the end of this season. You know, like, what do you think? I mean, we've been talking for a while. There's just kind of like one last thing I want to talk about because we haven't, um, I feel like this is really one of the only new characters we've seen this season. And that's the character of Michael, who is her shopping partner. Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm just curious, like what you think of her, because I think this is another kind of like little enigma character that we're starting to kind of peel back the layers on. But I was curious to, to see what you thought about her. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated. I mean, she is, this is going to be her fourth child, right? Yes. And, and she is now this episode was the first time where she seems to, I mean, well, I guess when they watched, uh, didn't she watch the execution too? Didn't we get a shot of her? I don't remember. There was one other point where she, where she kind of weakened a little bit. Oh, I think it was last week during the baptism when she saw her baby. Oh, that was it. You're yeah. absolutely correct. I was thinking of a, a, of a lot of people in a place together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, execution, baptism, you know, we all gather for the high points in life. <laughs> you know, one, two dozen of one, half dozen of or whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, she definitely must have a reserve of anger, regret, um, and and love for her children that she even because even if you think that if she thinks that she's doing the right thing, right. Um, in a religious sense that God wants this, this society to be this way, she doesn't even get to see the kids or be a, you know what I mean? That's when they, when it always happens, right? Like we've seen that happen again and again. Um, so, I just think with this pregnancy now and the fact that be, I think the act of being pregnant would maybe, I mean, oh, having only experienced it through, uh, vicariously through my wife, it, it, there's obviously a lot of emotions, you know, and, and you, she may be, that may be a good time for June to work her is yeah. unfortunately the way I have to say it but she's got to become an asset. Yeah. And that's what I think June is trying to make her into. Um, whether or not she's going to turn on her, I wouldn't trust her. That's, I yeah, she's, I it, it, she's definitely one that is like, I feel like on the borderline because what was it? I mean, June basically said, bite me to her before when she was like, oh, your husband. <laughs> that was great. You know? That was great. And, they, <laughs> I love, and they're great in this show too. They just kept that shot. Yeah. And even though it was far away, you still saw her reaction. They stayed with June, but you saw her reaction. Yeah. And that is kind of like, I'm like, is this like a ploy to get June to be sympathetic and open up? You know, like, but I, I didn't think it was really. I mean, I don't know. It's it's really kind of hard to tell. I would like to think that, you know, this is a woman who 
had her whole life in front of her and maybe one day she wanted to have kids, but now all of a sudden she has to be handmade to, you know, four different families now. She's very fertile, so she's probably in high demand. And, you know, she doesn't even get to be a mother to these children that she's pumping out, literally. I mean, good grief. That's why that's why I think it has to at least have been three years. I mean, if she's had three pregnancies in Gilead. Um, oh, that's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. Yeah. But anyway, any parting thoughts on this episode? Um, did you want to do your sister and Mr. Resistors? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, my kind of sister resistor of the week, I mean, and this was a hard one because I feel like once again, all the women were kind of beat down in one way or another. But I mean, if she's really coming around, I, I think I have to give it to of Michael just for being, just for what she said to June at the end was like, well, this is progress. And she actually says, I'm, I'm glad you're, I'm glad the baby got out. I'm glad your husband's safe. And, and she says, I really do think things are going to be all right, which is a really weird statement. But I mean, that's kind of the most, uh, you know, kind of optimism or kind of the biggest move of resistance that, that we really saw this week. You got to have hope, Gina. I know. I like that one. You got to have hope. I guess I'm going to give it to a mister and okay. I got to give it to Luke for just going through what he went through. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's maybe more of an assistant, a sister, like assist, resist. Oh yeah. I like assist it. The resistance, but then it makes it sound like a sister resistor. <laughs> so I guess anyway, it works, but yeah, I would have to give it to him because that was excruciating. What a great actor. Um, and what it, just written well, and I just, I, I keep on using the word efficient, but this show is really like that. It's a very, you know, he didn't have a great soliloquy or anything, you know, um, and just, we've seen him, he's a, he's a kind of a hidden character on this show, you know, and we've seen him grow, we've seen him drinking and ignoring the baby, yeah. and then we've seen him having to deal with, um, you know, Moira coming, uh, and, and now this situation and, and they've, and, uh, you know, it was just, um, it was just a little while ago that, uh, Emily was there, right? Yeah. So he's been through it. So I got to give it to him because yeah, that's a good call. I like it. Um, anyone in the news this week that you feel is a sister, Mr. Resister? Oh, uh, just the, uh, just everyone. Every, in, every every normal person in America, I I give you a hug because yeah. it's been a, it's been a rough week and uh, you know and uh, gosh it's really it's 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 even it's hard to it's hard to pick a person out there in the news. I'm trying to think and I guess I just have to say us. You know, like this a lot of this show too makes you think about you know, you just see kind of the drudgery, right? Like I liked when they showed um, how the Marthas do their laundry in the other, ep like what was that, last episode, I guess. You know, you get to see the background and in our own world, there's just people out there doing it and, uh, and, and trying to see us through to the end of our current terrible administration and just the sadness we see. So yeah, us. Yeah. 
There, there were a couple folks I wanted to call out this week, and it, it's not necessarily resistance against what's happening in the government, but but it is still um, just I think more kind of diversity and um, treatment of women. Or um, Taylor Swift, who I admit I'm not a terribly huge fan of, released a video this week called "You Need to Calm Down," and it's a great little video. It's very celebratory of Pride Month, and there are a lot of famous people from the LGBTQ community in the video. It's like everyone from Ellen to the guys from Queer Eye to Rapal, and just like so many more folks. Um, it's a very fun video, and of course, there are like some you know kind of redneck type characters in it that are protesting. Um, protesting the gays, and I think that is why she is saying you need to calm down <laughs> to them um, because people are just trying to live their lives. And then there's this article I saw yesterday. This woman named E. Jean Carroll, who I guess yeah, I was saw a, this too. Yeah, famous advice columnist, um, probably more back in the 80s. I, I personally never heard of her before. But she was featured in New York Magazine this week uh, for coming out and talking about the time that Donald Trump sexually assaulted her in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the mid 80s. And it was just like he bumped into her and it's like, oh, you're that advice lady and like cornered her in a dressing room that she had gone into to try on some clothes. And um, the article is fairly graphic as well. And I just kind of say, you know, I mean, kudos to her for, for coming out and talking about it. That was her whole book. She it was a part of a book that she's written. Oh, really? Um, I think the book is called like um, an argument for getting rid of men in general, and it just details. She had experience with Roger Ailes, I think. Um, oh no, Har maybe Harvey Weinstein. You know, she has really been around for a real long time, and the book is. I mean, I think linked to this to the show what we're talking about is really her experiences as kind of, I guess, a socialite or in the upper crust of New York, and particularly the experience, the bad experiences that she's had at the hands of uh, rich and powerful men. So yeah. I think that it was originally featured as a book review, and that part of the book review um, and the book became the larger story. Um, but I think it is a part of a book that she's written. Oh, gosh. More great stuff to read about about how women have been treated. And yeah, but it's good that she's keeping yeah, her mind and, and, um, and, and letting it be known, uh, the experiences that she's had. And that, you know, in general, that's, in general, that's the one good thing we can look at, right? Like just from this show at the end where we see them exposing their society Sometimes, you know, when you expose things and you show the truth and you say, hey, this is what happened. And the way she wrote it, too, you say it's graphic. I've read the excerpt. And um, the, the strange thing about it is that she basically said by the time this had happened to her at the age of 52, it had happened so many times that she laughed it off. Uh. Yeah, that, that's that's horrifying. That's you know, and I, I mean, it's hard for me to relate to that. But when I I can I can attempt to, and just say that's just terrible. Yeah, no, it really is. 
but she's still standing and she wrote a book about it to tell her story. And that's all we can do is tell our stories, right? Another sister resistor getting the message out, you know, giving uh, this thing. She's a sister. Yeah, she is a sister (laughs) helping others resist. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and record the podcast with me today. I'm very excited. You're my first true guest to talk about the season, which is exciting. And um, I've got several other folks lined up for the, for the rest of the season as well. So um, yeah, hopefully this is shaping up and, and we can have a lot more uh, good discussions about the show. I, I thank you for having me. This is, I might have to come on again. Okay. I might have to sign up for another episode. I think, I think who are you going to have? Maybe John, Tim, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, John and Tim are going to be on. Um, my friend, Andrea, who I interviewed for one of the earlier podcasts. Yeah, I heard that. On. Great. And then um, another friend of mine, uh, this woman, Heather, and I think a friend of hers are going to come on. We might do kind of a, like a little um, three-way chat. She does a lot of activism work here in and charity work here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And then another friend of mine, Anne Mercogliano, who is involved with the leadership of the Women's March organization in San Francisco. Awesome. So yeah, I think it's going to be a really good lineup and hopefully a couple more folks I'm, I'm working on. But uh, yeah, it should be good. And I like that I'm going to have both female perspectives and male perspectives as well, because I think it's important for for folks to um, get a whole bunch of different uh, viewpoints. Yeah, definitely. This is not, I mean, I don't think in any way Handmaid's Tale is like a, like a show for women or, you know what I mean? It's a show for people. Yes. Yeah. Production top to bottom. Um, and I, I, I've loved speaking about it and you've been doing great doing the solo pods. I love listening to it. Cause you know, I do the, a lot of the daily DVRs by myself and, uh, you're doing fantastic, Gina. Oh, thank you. It. This thank is a great, you. I look forward to each episode. You help me understand it better. You, you, and it really, I've been really, your podcast has helped me get more into this season and also keep up with it. Oh, good. I look forward to it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Yay. Successful podcast interviews. <laughs> down. I love it. <laughs> well, have a great rest of your day and rest of your weekend. I sure will. So before we go today, I saw one last question that DJ Tim Hines sent in in his feedback that I missed when I was reading part of it first time around. And that question is, do you think that Canada will crumble and return the baby? Now, Axel and I didn't talk about this at all, but I personally do not think that they are going to cave in and give this baby back to Gilead. I think there's too much at stake for the people that are currently in Gilead and that, you know, it's becoming a human rights issue. Some of the the things that Gilead is doing to its people, primarily its women. So my answer that, to that question is no. And that wraps things up for today. As always, if you have any feedback, please send it to resistinggilead at gmail.com and we'll read it and talk about it on the podcast. Thank you so much to my host, W. Axel Foley. Please go check out his daily podcast, Daily DVR, but also he's got a great podcast going this season for Big Little Lies. So there are a couple different 
things that you can tune into um, if you're looking for a new podcast, particularly one that covers everything kind of in the realm of movies and television and even the NFL, um, if you're so inclined. So thank you so much. As always, don't let the bastards grind you down. And in a hopeful parting, here are some words from Of Michael. I really think everything's going to be okay.